Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello and welcome back to Spooky Psychology. It's another Megan-only episode. And this is actually going to be our last episode of the year. Going to take a bit of a holiday break. Uh, also just a break for me because by golly I did not realize how much work this was going to be to do solely on my own. So it's a bit much so I'm going to take the month of December off. But then we will be back hopefully with Lauren in January so long as she is feeling up for it. So today, um, this is an episode topic that was voted on by our patrons. Thank you so much. Um, for any of you who don't know, I did update some of our patron perks, which I updated some different things. And now our patrons are able to vote on episode topics. Once we're back up to a regular schedule, it'll be, you know, typically every other episode that will be um, voted on by our patrons. Um, our patrons are now also allowed, if they are a $5 and up patron, to give some uh, feedback on episodes. Let us know what it is they want to know about our topics. They'll know all of our topics in advance. And there is some patron-exclusive content. So if you guys want to support the podcast, haven't figured out, you know, haven't started that yet, please feel free to check out our Patreon. It's going to be linked in the episode description so you can know more. But this topic was voted on. Um, I'm not, There were a couple things that you voted in between. And it was actually a tie between two topics. So if you haven't seen my update for our patrons only in our group, um, it was a tie. I decided to go ahead and do this one. It was tied with another topic, but the other topic I think would be better once Lauren's back because she's definitely going to want in on that one. So that topic will be released. That should be the next episode in January. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but our patrons know. But today's episode is going to be on dissociative fugues. So the fugue state I have always found very, very, very interesting. It was one of the kind of creepier, fun, creepy things. Not like fun for the person who has it, but fun to learn about. Kind of creepy, spooky things that you learn about in Psych 101 because it is a type of dissociative disorder. And I'll be honest, a dissociative fugue is one of the disorders that I am like straight up, it freaks me out the most in terms of the one that I think would be very scary for me to get. Personally, always creeped me out, um, but it can happen. So basically, it's a rare condition. Um, with prevalence estimates as low as 0.2% of the gen general population. They're more common in adults than children. Symptoms usually appear in the 20s or 30s, but can show up as young as 8. So general, so it is rare. But what a psychogenic fugue, dissociative fugue, is, is a state in, it's a type of dissociative amnesia, but it's a state where you lose awareness of your identity or other important auto- biographical information, but almost always includes some form of unexpected travel. So people who experience a dissociative fugue may suddenly kind of come to and find themselves in a place with no memory of traveling there. 
may have no memory of getting there. Uh, they refer to it as a state of bewildered wandering, but in some cases, people with dissociative fugues, they can last for long periods of time where you have no awareness of who you are, and you actually assume another identity and restart your life. One day, just wake up and go back to normal. There was a case study. I was not able to find this, but I remember this from my Psych 101 class or my Abnormal Psych, I think. So I can't, unfortunately, source this one. If anybody else can find a source on this case study, please let me know. I looked for it. I wasn't able to find it. But it was a woman whose husband went missing, had a dissociative fugue state while he was mowing the lawn. So he went out to mow the lawn and went missing. And I think it was for about a year she couldn't find him. And then one day she, like, she woke up because he just came back and was mowing the lawn again. So at some point in time, he had gone, lived a whole nother year, like in a different state, had a job, had a different name, was like waiting tables or doing something, had this whole other life. And then one day just kind of came to remember where he was and just picked up right where he left off mowing the lawn again. So it can have this taking on another identity piece. It's different than dissociative identity disorder because it's like a temporary identity, but dissociative fugues can occur in people with dissociative identity disorder, but they're not the same thing. So the identity that you may take on when you have that amnesia of who you are may or may not be a separate personality. If you have DID, then it might be a different personality of yours, but you can also have it without DID where you just kind of become someone else for a while, live a whole new life, and then eventually realize who you are. So the travel piece can be as little as a few hours where people just kind of might be at work and not know where they are. Um, or they'll say like, you know, you head to work and then you're suddenly on a beach and you don't know what happened. But so it can be a few hours. It can also be weeks to months and possibly even years. And in some cases is difficult to distinguish from sleepwalking, which does make sense. I don't know if anybody is you know, interested in an episode of sleepwalking, I would absolutely love to do it. There's a lot of sleepwalking in my family. My husband's a sleepwalker. I am as well on rare occasions, but I'm more so a sleep talker and singer than I am a sleepwalker. Um, but I do have a history and it is in my family. So maybe like weird sleep disorders we should do. I'd also love to do sleep paralysis because I have that and it's terrifying. Um, so it can look similar to sleepwalking, which makes sense. When the fugue state is over, people usually can't remember what happened. Um, it can end suddenly or gradually. So some people just kind of snap out of it, remember who they are. Some people, it takes months and months of ongoing treatment to actually get their identities back. Some of the symptoms include persistent confusion about identity, confusion about the past, and refuses to be challenged about their beliefs, especially who they are. So again, it is full-on amnesia. Some people don't, you know, somebody with amnesia might be very upset when you're trying to remind them of who they are, and they may not be able to accept that at that point in time. So the difference between a fugue and dissociative amnesia. So here's the kind of thing. A fugue is a subtype of dissociative amnesia. So a fugue might be dissociative amnesia, but not all amnesia is a fugue state. They are distinctly different. So in both of them, um, 
you know, you lose awareness of your identity or autobiographical. The fugue is particularly involving the travel and the wandering aspect, sometimes very, very far um, destinations, and the fugue can last a lot longer than regular dissociative amnesia. Um, dissociative amnesia itself is, so kind of talking about the whole category with the fugue is a part of it that involves the travel, the amnesia itself is a condition in which a person cannot remember important information about their life. It may be limited to certain areas, like a thematic memory loss, or may be general with their life history or identity. So, like, thematic memory loss and dissociative amnesia might be, like, forgetting everything about your job, your work history, right? It's just all in this one thing. You know who you are, you know who your family is, but you have no idea what you do for a living. Or vice versa, right? Whereas the general, you can kind of just forget who you are, who your family is, your entire life's memories. Um, dissociative amnesia is, is a dissociative disorder, which is a mental illness where there's a breakdown of mental functions, such as memory, consciousness, awareness, identity, and perception. So... We'd love to do more episodes. Obviously, we've done dissociative identity disorder, which is one dissociative disorder. A fugue state is a different type of disorder, and I'm sure we'll get more into the other dissociative disorders as we go. If you're looking for more information about dissociative um, disorders in general, you might want to listen to our DID episode if you haven't yet, because we do discuss dissociation as a concept a bit more in that episode. So dissociative amnesia as a whole is rare, affects about 1% of men and 2.6% of women in the general population. The rates of dissociative amnesia tend to increase after natural disasters and during war. So I'll discuss that more in a couple minutes, but that is interesting. Um, and again, so amnesia as a whole, 1% of men, 2.6% of women. But remember, the fugue state part of it is actually only 0.2% of the general population. So it is a very small subset. So other symptoms is confusion, a sudden lack of attendance at work or avoidance of other places they frequent, loss of autobiographical memory, which is about themselves, other people, their own life, complete detachment from their emotions, severe stress um, can be a bit of a trigger. They have a confused identity. Um, so they may take on another separate identity, go by a different name, or they may just have no idea who they are, can't give you a name, and just don't remember anything but are traveling. Um, there's also depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide, mental health issues, an inability to recognize loved ones, and wandering, going to places they don't usually go. Many times, specifically with a fugue, they will abruptly walk away from their current life, start a new one. Their new life is usually very different from the life they've left. For example, if someone's like a Wall Street executive, might leave a high-powered career and like randomly become a florist in a rural town until they remember who they are. So dissociative amnesia does, has been linked to significant amounts of stress caused by any traumatic event, which could be war, abuse, accidents, disasters, which is why it is more prevalent in societies where there is a lot of ongoing stuff. But of course, any form of interpersonal trauma or individual trauma can also cause this. There might 
be a genetic connection. In dissociative amnesia, as close relatives often have the tendency to develop it if one does. So there is a genetic component, but it is kind of caused by stress. And um, the big difference is unlike other types of amnesia, dissociative amnesias and dissociative fugue states are not caused by medical conditions. So there are, of course, you know, there's many types of amnesia. A lot of them are medical in nature, right? You may get amnesia. And amnesia is just the term for, you know, forgetting and loss of memory, right? People may get that with old age due to something like dementia or Alzheimer's where you forget memories. You might get it after a car accident, a concussion, any type of brain injury or surgery or physical trauma. You may have memory loss. This is very specifically not related to medical conditions. So like many things in the DSM, in order to get this diagnosis, you would have to rule out any medical condition because of course if somebody is presenting with sudden memory loss you're absolutely the from the medical community would want to like rule out a brain tumor before just assuming that you're having a dissociative fugue right they're going to do lots of other testing to rule out medical causes before starting psychological treatment even with you know psychological trauma we all know that trauma can cause memory loss, right? I know we've talked about that in the podcast before. So if you have localized amnesia that is dissociative amnesia, it's a specific part. You might forget a time during childhood. Um, You know, if you have a specific traumatic event, like if you're a victim of a crime, if you were robbed at gunpoint, you may remember everything else about that day and might remember absolutely nothing about the event that happened, the trauma that actually occurred. So a lot of trauma memory loss could be considered a type of dissociative amnesia. There's a reason that memory loss is actually a symptom of PTSD, being unable to recall important parts of the event, because it is a natural trauma response. With generalized dissociative amnesia, right, the memory loss affects your life and identity being able to recognize yourself, and then it becomes a fugue when you travel, for the most part. Um, so now, one of the big questions, I know this is going to be a shorter episode today, and I hope that's okay with you guys. I know we've talked about this before, but I'm going to go a lot more into specific case studies and less about general research today. But I think a good question is, how do we treat dissociative fugues, right? Um, And a lot of this, there wasn't a lot of information about fugue states in specifics because they are so rare. So this is a lot about how we treat dissociative amnesia, which a fugue state is a part of. So the goals of the treatment are to relieve the symptoms, ensure safety, and reconnect a person with their lost memories. Also aims to, you know, manage any trauma, develop coping skills, and just improve relationships and functioning as much as possible. As you can imagine, if you suddenly don't remember your family, particularly if you're a parent and you don't know who your kids are, that's going to cause some problems, might be very damaging to your relationship with them. So it's to work on regaining your memories, help you, also addressing any underlying mental illness that you have, processing trauma, and helping you just get back to normal and improve your relationship with everyone. So there's a lot of different treatment options, but it's usually a combination of many different things. 
So I'll run through what some of the treatment looks like. Generally therapy, right? Talk therapy is the main treatment for dissociative disorders. General thing, specific treatment modalities that might be used are cognitive behavioral therapy, where you're focusing on changing thinking patterns, feelings, and behaviors. I know we've talked about CBT. A lot of you have probably been through CBT because it is one of the research-based treatments that works for a very wide variety of mental illnesses. Of course, it does not work for everyone. I think people either really love CBT or hate CBT. I personally do a lot of it because I have seen really good results. But very thought-based on working on addressing your thinking patterns, how that impacts your feelings and behaviors. Um, EMDR, which Lauren has talked about. Lauren does do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is treating people who basically for PTSD symptoms. So they might use in a person with dissociative amnesia, EMDR to actually help process whatever trauma is behind the amnesia in the first place to help them work through that. Um, and resolve any continued, you know, nightmares, flashbacks, dissociation, any PTSD symptoms that they do have. There's dialectic behavior therapy, or DBT. Um, DBT is often used in people with significant personality disturbances. So DBT is really big for people with personality disorders, um, including dissociative symptoms. So that's kind of where the overlap goes. A lot of personality disorders and PTSD will also have dissociative symptom involvement. So again, they might use DBT to address some of that. That's very strict behavior therapy and lots of different skills. Family therapy, of course, to educate the family on the disorder and help them recognize if symptoms are coming back, help them really understand what's happening to their loved one. Of course, it is very distressing to have a loved one not remember who you are, so it's helping the family work through that to improve those relationships. There's the expressive therapies, art therapy, music therapy, to explore and express feelings creatively some things we can't talk about, um, particularly if there's memory issues, but using something that is less talk therapy and less memory-based to express how you're feeling can help you connect with your emotions in a different way, activate different parts of the brain, works really well for certain people. Um, more in the skills, right, but meditation and relaxation techniques can be useful for people with dissociation. It helps them handle their, sibling, their symptoms and be more aware of their internal states. There's clinical hypnosis, um, which I personally think is really cool. This is very different than the, you are getting sleepy, I'm gonna make you cluck like a chicken hypnosis. Clinical hypnosis is deeply therapeutic and uses intense relaxation, concentration, and attention to achieve a different state of consciousness, which allows you to process things in a different way and things that you may not even be consciously aware of. Then, of course, medication may be a component in the treatment of this. There is not medication specifically for dissociative disorders. However, there are a lot of 
overlapping symptoms with other disorders. So if you happen to have depression and suicidal ideation as well as the dissociation, you may get put on antidepressants, anxiety medication for anxiety. Um, there is also different medications that can help people with PTSD. And if you have a dissociative fugue and PTSD, there's lots of different medication options that might be utilized in combination with all of these different therapeutic techniques. Um, but, you know, the treatment can be really difficult. It's very hard to always pinpoint, like, it's difficult to get someone's memory back. So it would typically be, like, really comprehensive treatment with multiple specialists, multiple modalities to help this person get their functioning back. For most people, memory does return with dissociative amnesia and fugue states. Um... Sometimes slowly, where through treatment and exposure to things in their life, they gradually do figure out who they are. Sometimes rapidly, like they just kind of see something and it all comes rushing back to them. In some cases, though, they never fully recover their lost memories. And I think this is something that, um, you know, did did freak me out quite a bit about this when I first learned about it. Something that I think made me a bit more you know, scared of this disorder when we first learned is just the idea that for, you know, something can happen that's traumatic, right? A natural disaster and you just never remember who you are again or you never get your memories back because of that. That is pretty terrifying. But to improve the outlook, you know, it is important to treat any dissociative amnesia as soon as you're aware that it's happened and treating any comorbidities. So, I now think we kind of got the basics down here. I'm going to go more into case studies. Got to love case studies. Yeah, so I'm going to just read a few different case studies about what this actually looks like because I think dissociative fugues can look a lot of different ways and I think it's so important that we talk about all of the different ways that this can happen. So I have some case studies that are from journals as well as um, one from the news media, one from psychology today about what is not confirmed, but a possible kind of famous person from the past who did in fact maybe have a dissociative fugue state. So these are all fugue related. Um, the first one that I'm going to tell you is a case study of dissociative amnesia with dissociative fugue and treatment with psychotherapy. This is the primary care companion to the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. That is the journal that this was published in. The authors are Pravesh Sharma, Medhat Gurgi. Uh, I probably pronounced that wrong. I'm going to look it up and maybe do that later. Uh, Jessica Nelson and Terry McManhan from the Department of Psychiatry in the Texas Tech University Health Scientist Center in Texas. So thank you guys for doing this case study. Because um, I do love finding the actual ones. So the case report or study is a 20-year-old man with no past medical or psychiatric history was brought to the ER by his mother. He had difficulty remembering things for two days. According to his mother, he was fine two days. He was fine until two days ago. The next day when he was at work, he got a call from the supervisor stating that he did not recognize his friends and he was asking what he was supposed to do at work. Considering the situation, the supervisor sent him home 
When he got home, he could not recognize his mother, dog, siblings, or belongings. He slept in pretty late, woke up, and left the house without telling anyone. Um, you know, the mother, of course, got concerned and started calling and sending him text messages, which went unanswered, called his friends, who eventually found him in the parking lot of a convenience store. He was unaware of how he got there. This patient was admitted to the inpatient psychiatric unit. Uh, they, of course, did a drug test, um, which was negative. A lot of times, you know, with these things, of course, drug use can also explain bizarre behavior and um, memory loss. So, of course, they're pretty much always going to screen to see if there are any drugs in your system, which could be causing that. This is all part of ruling out... Um, you know, any medical causes. So in addition to that, they did a drug test. They did blood work, um, checking a bunch of different function tests to make sure that his organs were functioning well. They didn't have any severe vitamin deficiencies, anything weird on his blood count, which could indicate so many different medical problems. Um, so they did a bunch of medical testing, asked him how he was doing. He said he was confused, but his mood was okay. Uh, the researchers noticed that his affect was flat and guarded with no concern for his memory loss. So he wasn't really distressed by his memory loss. He was just a bit confused. Um, he was oriented in time, place, and person, which basically means... That he knew roughly what time it was, he knew where he was and who he was. So he knew he was in the hospital, he knew this, but had difficulty um, with attention and concentration. His immediate recall was intact, but he was unable to provide details pertaining to his life. So he knew, like, this is my name, I'm at the hospital, but he didn't know, like, where he had come from, what he had been doing. He knew the immediate things, but he couldn't give his own history. <coughs> um... He had, um, let's see, he had slept a lot for two days. His mom denied previous symptoms of depression, anxiety, mania, or psychosis. No history of seizure or head trauma. Again, they're looking for medical causes. They were able to identify that the recent stressor that could have led to this was a recent breakup of a romantic partner for about a year. Um, they said they, the mother said they didn't notice emotional changes after the breakup. However, breakups are really stressful situations. And so that very well could have been a trigger for that. That was a stressful event that occurred right before it happened. Um, so they did um, in the hospital again, going to the ruling out medical conditions did have a neurology consult, including imaging, to rule out any cause of amnesia. Um, they also, they did a psych consult to kind of figure out what was going on. And they found, because malingering is something, malingering would basically be, um, so malingering would be the act of intentionally feigning or exaggerating physical or psychological symptoms for personal gain. Um, so, you know, they had to check to see, but they had no evidence of feigned symptoms, no evidence of over-reporting. Um, he continued to not have autobiographic memory. Uh, the team did not force him to recall the stressor that might have led to the fugue. The family was allowed to go there and show family photo albums and other things to see if they, you know, 
um, triggered any past memories. He was basically in the hospital for a while. He was forming fresh memories um, and could recall most events after he was found in the parking lot of the convenience store, but um, could not remember what had ha could not remember a lot from his life before that so they ruled out other causes of he was diagnosed with dissociative amnesia with a dissociative fugue he was discharged um ended up doing therapy during the first few sessions he had difficulty remembering events from his past stating i'm a new person he didn't have problem forming new memories and they used persuasion and suggestive techniques and tried to provide a sense of safety and security. He was given home assignments to look at photo albums and review details of jobs with his co-workers. The team continued his supportive psychotherapy and empathic validation. Um, empathic validation is just being very emotionally supportive. He felt good about being a brand new person, so he didn't have to think about bad things in the past. However, he did ultimately recover his memories throughout treatment after multiple sessions was able to process the breakup um and everything that had happened um so he said he felt numb when he woke up it felt very rejected and he did eventually return to his job and remember details from his past so that one is really interesting it also states more that the relationship had ended because he had cheated on his partner and the partner refused to continue efforts to reconcile, which so that was the stress that he had done something and was trying to make it better. Couldn't make it better, felt an immense amount of stress and guilt about that, which was most likely the triggering factor, the trauma that preceded the dissociative fugue. So that's an interesting one, right? Because it, you know, in this case, the family was able to identify it really suddenly, right? They were able to recognize the boss was like, he doesn't recognize his friends. He doesn't do this, was sent him home, didn't recognize his family, then wandered pretty briefly and was found quickly. So that is one case study. Now, uh, this is a secondary case study. I have four different ones. So these are the two very clinical case studies, and then the other two are less clinical stories that I will share with you. So this one is case study called Dissociative Fugue Symptoms in a 28-year-old male Nigerian medical student, semicolon, a case report. Uh, the author is from the Department of Psychological Medicine at the Federal Teaching Hospital in Ebony State, Nigeria. Uh, his name is Monday. And so, okay, so now to the case presentation. Patient was a 28-year-old male final year medical student from the southeastern region of Nigeria in sub-Saharan Africa. He was declared missing for 10 days prior to presentation because his whereabouts were unknown. He was seen in a city in southwestern Nigeria, about 634 kilometers from southeastern Nigeria, where he lived and schooled. So that is 393.95 miles for the Americans. So in this case, this does have a much farther travel component, like we were talking about, like almost 400 miles away from where he lived, 634 kilometers. 
Um, so 10 days before he presented at this hospital, while studying in his room alone at night, the patient saw a full human skeleton reading at the same table with him, which I find very interesting. He began to feel at ease and quite uncomfortable, saw the whole room turning with everything becoming unstable and unreal. He had overwhelming fears and does not know when he left the room. Two days later, he discovered he was with his younger sibling in southwestern Nigeria. The patient had no knowledge of how he made the journey that takes approximately eight hours by road. He could not remember where he slept the night he left his room, how he raised money for the journey, or the buses and routes he took. He denied all memory of events for the two days from when he left his room at the university to when he realized he was at his brother's house. The brother reported that the patient appeared unkempt, exhausted, but was fully conscious and alert on his arrival at his house without any assistance. Uh, Getting into the stressors, prior to this episode, the patient had severe economic and academic pressures. The younger brother who paid his bills had threatened to withdraw his sponsorship because of the patient's prolonged stay in school beyond the stipulated duration of training. Um, So it looks like he had to repeat exams and classes. His brother had been paying for his bills, but because it was taking longer than they had agreed upon, was threatening to no longer pay for his bills. He was worried that he might fail his final qualifying examination, scheduled to be in three months. Um and had significant symptoms of impending doom. So he was being involved. It says he was became involved in several religious activities in an attempt to work to obviate his sense of impending doom. Uh, he did admit to having a low mood, loss of interest in pleasurable activities, and poor appetite, had lost weight. So that does indicate that he was experiencing depression before this happened. Um, he had suicidal ideation, but no history of attempts, sleeping poorly. So again, pretty classic depression. Um, symptom presentation. No symptoms suggestive of a seizure, manic episode, schizophrenia, anxiety, or organic disorders, and did not use... Any drugs denied a history of head trauma or loss of consciousness in the past. So, they did say, yeah, they um, revealed his mental state with a young man who was clean, appropriately dressed, mildly emaciated with poor eye contact, his mood was depressed, he had preceding visual and derealization perceptual disorders, no thought disorders, um... His immediate recall, short and long-term memory were intact, but he had amnesia for the two days where he left school and wound up at his brother's place. They ruled out all other medical complications, didn't find anything. Um, They gave him the dissociative experiences scale. It was administered. He had a score which indicated that he had a dissociative disorder. A diagnosis of the Fugue Syndrome was made with comorbid major depressive disorder. He was engaged in psychotherapy by the departmental psychologist, and his depression was treated with medication. He responded well um, and was able to write for his final exams, which unfortunately he did not pass. Um, At a six-month follow-up, the patient could still not recall events for two days from when he left school to when he went to his brother's house, but had no other history of amnesia. So in this case, I like that it does present differently. Um, Where this is a medical student, the stressor was academic and ongoing, did have a history of mental illness, um, and, you know, again, could remember himself, did have a lot of memory, but just specifically could not remember 
two days of travel, which is quite an intense amount of travel. So like I said, it can be a lot farther, but these are both shorter term fugue states. Now, I'm gonna get into... So this one is actually a news report from NBC News. The title is Man with Amnesia Reunited with Family and Friends. This is from October 22nd of 2006. Um, so this one is a man named Jeffrey Allen Ingram. He is 40 years old. He was diagnosed in Denver with a dissociative fugue, which is a type of amnesia. He has had similar bouts of amnesia in the past, so he's somebody who has um, gone through this before, once disappearing for nine months in total. Um, this time... On September 6th, he had been on the way to Canada to visit a friend who was dying of cancer, according to his fiancée, Penny Hansen. She said, I think the stress, the sadness, the grief of facing a best friend dying was enough, and leaving me was enough to send him into an amnesia state. So, he left on the 6th of September to visit his friend, and then... On September 10th, he found himself in Denver, so he was headed to Canada, found himself in Denver, and did not know who he was. He said he was walked around for about six hours asking people for help, then ended up at a hospital where he was diagnosed with a dissociative fugue. They typically, it states that, um, you know, they appear fine, but have temporarily lost their sense of identity, are confused, and impulsively travel away from home. Um... So after a while, the interesting thing, um, and this is more modern, is the way that they figured out who he was. He appeared on the news asking the public for help um, after not being able to retain memories. He appeared on the news, um, said, if anybody recognizes me, knows who I am, please let somebody know. His brother um, or his fiance's brother called her right away and said, I think that Jeff they're showing on television. She had filed a missing persons report after he failed to show up at her mother's home in Washington on his way to Canada, but they had searched for him and found nothing. Then two Denver police detectives accompanied him on a flight to Seattle where he was reunited with his fiance. His mother from Canada was in tears, talked about the struggle her son and his family still face. It's going to be very difficult again, but you know what? I can do it, she told CTV News of Edmonton, Alberta. I did it before. I can do it again. I'll do it as many times as I have just so I can have my son. Um, Ingram had a history of an episode of amnesia in 1995 where he disappeared during a trip to a grocery store. Nine months later, he was found in a Seattle hospital, um, and he never fully regained his memory. Someone who worked with Hansen at the State Utilities and Transportation Committee said the couple would not give interviews because they want to concentrate on his um, efforts to refine his memory uh, with him and his fiance. They're taking it one step at a time. He said that while her face wasn't familiar to him, her heart was familiar to him. He can't remember his home, but he said their home felt like home to him. Um, so in that case, it is interesting because it, this is somebody who clearly has a history of this. This has happened um, to him before, but I think it's good that in this case, you know, he was able to go on the news, so they were able to pretty quickly identify who he was. Um, and I, you know, obviously it's been since 2006 in October, so it took, he was gone for, seems like about a month before he went on the news and was able to get found. So hopefully, he has, you know, figured things out and things are going well. 
for Jeffrey. I'm only using his name because it, you know, is openly available on the internet in the news story, and he did go on the news. Um, with that, so Jeffrey, wishing you the best. Um, gotta be scary to have this be something that happens to you regularly. Um, or not even regularly, but having more than one fugue state in your life seems very alarming. Okay, so this one is called Dissociative Fugue, The Mystery of Agatha Christie. So Agatha Christie was a pretty significant writer of mystery novels, um, who in December 3rd, 1926, disappeared from her home in Berkshire, England, uh, her mother, to whom she had been close, had recently died a couple months earlier, and her husband, Colonel Archibald Christie, was having an affair with Nancy Neal. Archie, her husband, made very little effort to actually disguise this affair, and on the day that Agatha disappeared, he had gone to the home of some friends to be reunited with his mistress, Nancy. Before vanishing, uh, Agatha had written several confused notes to Archie and others. In one, she wrote that she was going on a holiday to Yorkshire, but in another, she said that she feared for her life. The following morning, her abandoned car with headlights on and bonnet up was discovered in Surrey, not far from a lake called Silent Pool, in which she had drowned one of her fictional characters, which is interesting. Uh... She, inside the car, she had left a fur coat, a suitcase with her belongings, and an expired driver's license. So, of course, the police feared the worst and dredged the lake. There were 15,000 volunteers looking for, Ag for Agatha. And even, this was the first time in England this was done for a missing person, they flew planes overhead, but they could not find Agatha. In fact... Agatha had checked into a health spa in Yorkshire, not under her own name, but under the name of Teresa Neal. Her disappearance made national headlines. Several people at the spa thought they recognized her as Agatha Christie, but she stuck to her story of being a bereaved mother from Cape Town. On December 14th, they, the police brought her husband to the spa she was at so she could be conclusively identified. As... He entered the spa, Agatha said, Fancy, my brother has just arrived. Agatha never discussed this episode and excluded it from her biography. So here is the tricky thing. Is this case, right, she was missing for several days, she took on a different name. So, it, to this point in time, and this is why I said a possible case from a famous person... It's kind of equally likely that this was a publicity stunt or revenge on her husband for cheating, specifically since she took the last name of her husband's mistress when she tucked herself in, but could have also been a dissociative fugue, um, and it is upheld by her doctors that it was a dissociative fugue. Um, it says, in any case, should be borne in mind that just like a dissociative fugue, revenge and fame can also be constructed as ego defenses. So that one, I just find that personally interesting, um, that I had never heard that about Agatha Christie before, but possibly had a fugue state, possibly was very dramatic about, you know, taking revenge on her husband. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, and... That is about all I have on the topic of fugue states. Like I said, I just find them personally interesting. I know this isn't the longest episode we've ever had, but in all honesty, doing these solo is very, very difficult. 
So I thank you for your patience. Like I said at the top of the episode, this will be our last episode of 2021. So we will be back in January, hopefully both myself and Lauren, and we are excited to have her back and be doing this together again. So, you know, feel free to check out our Patreon if you would like to become a patron of this podcast, help support us in our efforts to continue to make podcasts in the the future, that would be great. We still do have an affiliate link with Fiverr, which I will list in the description below. If you want to get any services from Fiverr or just check it out, please use our affiliate link, that would be great. And our affiliate link... um, will, of course, give us some money to support the podcast, which is always helpful. Both our intro song and our logo were made by wonderful artists from Fiverr. And thank you so much for um, getting spooky with us this week. I'm also going to link, just in case um, anybody is looking for a charitable cause this holiday season, I'm going to link the Jace Foundation. The Jace Foundation was by J.C. Dugard. Um, I realized that I pronounced her name probably wrong in the episode where I talked about her, so I'm very, very sorry to J.C. Dugard for that. But... Um, for any of you who watched the 2020 episode on the Turpin family, you will know um, the Turpin kids were horrifically abused, and the state of California, it seems like, has failed them. They are unable to access. There were $600,000 raised for them, which, for a lot of dumb reasons, they are largely unable to access at this point. So the Jace Foundation, run by J.C. Dugard, is now raising money for the Turpin kids. If you watched the special, I highly recommend it. It's very disturbing, but it is good. It's to help the adult kids move on with their life, get treatment, get safe housing, and access to food. A lot of them do not have good food access right now. So I'm going to link that as well just in case anybody is interested in donating some money. That's just a good cause that I personally like so I'm just going to throw that out there just in case. Take it or leave it. And I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season with whatever holidays you celebrate or just a good December. That also works too. And I will talk to you guys next year. Thank you for getting spooky.